Hey, hey, this is Allie, and welcome to the Allie Worthington Show. It's where we gather, learn, share our stories, and have a great time. Every week, I'll be chatting with a friend who I know, who I like, and I respect, and I want to learn something from. And after we have that discussion, we are going to have coaching time. So I'm going to be answering your questions about life, about faith, and about business. Welcome to the show today. We are at the very end of 2020. We made it to the end of the year that shall not be named. (laughs) This is my last week of sharing some of the favorite chapters from my past books with you. Today, I want to share chapter four of Fierce Faith called What If They Don't Like Me? We're going to dive into how to overcome the fear of rejection. This is a topic that we don't talk about much, right? We don't even like to think about it, much less talk about it. So this is one of those episodes that it would have been easier for me to do something that was a little more fun, a little bit more peppy, but this is an episode that we need. I need to revisit it. Everyone needs to hear it because nobody walks through life without dealing with this, right? Now, each chapter in Fierce Faith, I've told you, if you haven't read the book, it deals with how we can overcome specific worries and fears. And I do think that this is especially needed right now with everything that we've been through. I hope it gives you strength and encouragement and some really practical tools to fight fear, to overcome the hurt of rejection and the fear of rejection, and to live with confidence as we go through our lives. Now, I do need your help. I want you to share this episode with a friend this week. If everyone shares it with one friend, we can reach so many women. As you're listening, just click the share button in your podcast listening app, whatever it is, and text it to a friend. This chapter on how to think about rejection, how to overcome rejection, how to live strong, it's really important, and I want as many women to have the tools as as we can possibly reach. Okay, I'm thrilled for today's show. Without further ado, let's tackle the fear of rejection and find some really practical steps that we can use every day to live with confidence. In my third semester at the University of Tennessee, I signed up for an almost full schedule but discovered I needed one more hour to be considered full-time. Now, no one would have ever confused me with a star student. So instead of taking another challenging class, I went for an easy credit hour of bowling. Now, I have never bowled before, but bowling would bump me up to full-time status, and I thought it would be a fun way to meet new people on such a large campus. And hello, easy credit hour. Now, on the first day of bowling class, my first opportunity to get to know my classmates, I chose a cute baby doll dress and some strappy flats. I mean, I wanted to make a good first impression, right? But as I walked into the bowling alley, I knew I was in trouble. Clearly, a baby doll dress was a terrible idea, right? (laughs) The course instructor gave us a few simple instructions and then told us to trade in our shoes and select a ball trade in my shoes. I thought, what in the world? I mean, hello, I'd never bowled before. Never thought about wearing somebody else's gross shoes. The idea of putting my bare feet into shoes that someone else had worn, ugh, it was too much. But I managed to get past that. I selected my ball and headed for the assigned lane. Now there were so many things I had to get over in order to bowl that day. I had to tell myself, I can do this. I'm not going to think about these gross shoes. I'm not going to bend over too far in this stupid baby doll dress. I'm just going to put my fingers in the ball, walk up the lane and throw it. Little kids do this all day long. Easy. I got this covered. But when it was my turn to bowl, I held this heavy ball in my hand and I mentally rehearsed the steps I would take and the spectacular way I would release the ball. But here's what happened. 
I stepped too far out into that slippery wax lane. I lifted the ball back just as I'd seen the others do. And unlike them, I started to lose my balance. Panicked because I was slipping because the lane was waxy, I gripped the ball with superhuman strength. And instead of releasing the ball, I did a 180, guided by the weight of the ball that was still in my death grip. And you know what happened next. I fell. But first, legs out, right in front of all my classmates. I was humiliated. I scrambled to pull my dress down. I stood up and I cracked a little joke and I took an overly dramatic bow because I couldn't let everyone see how upset I was, right? Everyone, of course, roared with laughter and so did I. I sat back down with my classmates and I laughed and laughed. We all laughed for the rest of the class, but inside I was dying. I wasn't about to let anybody see how horrified I was. After class, I was in the bathroom stall when some girls came in. They didn't realize I was in there. They were talking about class and to my great horror, my great bowling adventure. Now, those girls in my mind weren't like me. They were classy. They had straight, smooth hair. They never ate any carbs and probably never worried about fitting in. Now, me, I was terribly insecure with this crazy, curly, unruly hair. I was always trying to fit in and somehow I was managing to embarrass myself in the worst possible way. One of the girls said, that girl is such a spaz. What's wrong with her? And who wears a dress to go bowling? I pulled my feet up so they wouldn't notice me and I held my breath. And I stayed in that bathroom stall until they were all gone. And then I stayed there a little bit longer to make sure they had left the building. And for the rest of the day, I just stayed huddled up in the comfort of my steel dorm room bed. I ate ice cream and I felt sorry for myself. Sure, I was humiliated from falling down and making a fool of myself, but I could have survived that. The ridicule from the girls in the restroom was just too much to take. Now, thank the Lord that this happened before social media blew up, or it would have been all over Instagram. (laughs) That would have been the story that gets passed around everywhere. But I'll tell you, I never went to that class again. 18-year-old me couldn't handle the rejection I felt or the pain that came with it. And no way was I going to give those girls an opportunity to reject me again. Of course, at the end of the semester, I had a hard time explaining to my mom why I had an incomplete in a bowling class that was supposed to be an easy credit hour. But looking back, I can see that by not returning to that class, I was trying to protect myself. I was rejecting my classmates at my own expense before they could reject me. Now, experts say this is classic behavior when it comes to rejection. Reject before you get rejected. Now, rejection is like death by a thousand cuts. As Guy Wench writes in Emotional First Aid, rejection elicits emotional pain so sharp it affects our thinking, it floods us with anger, erodes our confidence and self-esteem, and destabilizes our fundamental feeling of belonging. That pretty much sums it all up perfectly, doesn't it? Rejection pierces us in our most vulnerable places, the deepest parts of our hearts and mind and creates in us a fear that is just as deep as the rejection itself. The fear of rejection can come from a single traumatic event, like a close friend ending a friendship. Or it can come from situations like me overhearing the girl's conversation in the bathroom. But the fear of rejection can also be triggered by small everyday events, like your child not getting invited to a birthday party, or your coworkers all going to do something without you. As my mom used to say, rejection is like being pecked to death by chickens. One little peck doesn't do that much damage, but when they peck you over and over, it all adds up. One little hurt, one after the other hurt, after the other hurt, until you walk around full of little wounds just waiting for someone to reject you. 
If we aren't careful and we allow the fear of rejection to dominate our lives, it will suck the life right out of us. Here's what I want you to know about rejection and how rejection steals our joy. First thing I want you to know is it makes us get stuck. Let's face it. When we feel rejected, logic goes out the window and we don't think clearly. Before long, we find ourselves spiraling downward in this whirlpool of negativity and we say things like this to ourselves. We say, they don't like me as much as I thought they did. They'll never like me. I'm a failure. It feels like I'm invisible. No one really likes me and I'm not good enough. Now, when we have this downward spiral of thoughts, we get stuck in this vicious cycle that grows stronger the longer we let it continue until eventually it leaves us feeling hopeless. We imagine the worst and we get stuck. The second thing I want you to know about how rejection steals our joy is it makes us avoid situations where there's any possibility for rejection and hurt. Looking back, I feel silly that I made an incomplete embowling of all things because I assumed everybody thought the same as those girls in the bathroom thought. Rather than risk being rejected or hurt again, I avoided the whole situation. And not only did it cost me extra tuition, but it also cost me the extra time it took to replace the class with another one. Like I said, when we feel rejected, we aren't always thinking logically, and we tend to avoid any situation where we could get hurt again. Now, the third thing I want you to know, this one's really important. We overgeneralize. Now, after 13 years of marriage and three beautiful children, all under the age of 10, my friend Anne's husband told her he didn't love her anymore and that he had fallen in love with another woman. Anne told herself that she would never let herself be hurt again like that. So she shut down the part of her heart that would allow herself to love another man. And instead, she busied herself with work and raising her kids. I mean, both of those are legitimate responsibilities. And she avoided any and all social situations where she could potentially meet or be set up with another life mate. And eventually friends stopped inviting Anne because they knew her answer would be no, which in turn, what happened is it only confirmed to Anne's heart what she was worried about. Her fear is that she was unlovable. Talk about stealing joy, right? Now we all have a tendency to overgeneralize situations. We come to a conclusion based on one experience or some negative trigger from our past, and we apply it to all future experiences. In fact, experts say that overgeneralization is one of the most common distortions in our thinking. And the more situations cause us pain, the more likely we are to overgeneralize that pain and see the whole world through the lens of that hurt. Overgeneralization is especially dangerous when we look at life through the lens of hearts that have been wounded by rejection. What happens is we see all relationships as potential minefields of hurt. And we see ourselves as fundamentally unworthy or rejected. And we know that isn't true. But here's something else I want you to think about. We often don't think about how often in our lives this happens to us. I want to talk to you next about everyday rejections. So as I mentioned earlier, everyday rejections can be the biggest joy thieves of all. It's all those little slights that seem to do the most damage. Here's the ones I'm thinking about. Neighbors that don't invite us to cookouts and we see everybody in their backyard without us. Or we learn at church that the mom's group had a play date and we didn't know a thing about it. Our friends all go out to dinner with another set of friends and they post the pictures all over social media and we wonder why we didn't get invited. Or we get invited to something last minute, but we have the feeling that we were more of an oversight than anything else. Now, all these scenarios, normal and mundane as they are, they cause us real pain. And here's what I want you to know. This is so fascinating. Research shows that the same areas in our brains that register physical pain also register the hurt and pain we feel from rejection. 
So our brain responds to our hearts being hurt and the pain of our emotional wounds, just like it responds to pain and hurt from physical wounds. Get this. We actually feel emotional pain in our brains the same way we feel physical pain. And for some, the greatest source of everyday rejection is a phenomenon called social media rejection. Now stay with me here. The problem with the internet is we see everything. Every friend's dinner, every comment, every every comment our friend makes on other people's posts, every party as it happens in real time. Don't you miss parties? Please, Lord, give us parties again this time next year. <laughs> every time our friends go for a walk or a picnic, it's all photographed and filtered and captioned and up for the whole world to see. But what we don't often talk about is what we feel when we're left out, when we're rejected by or we're forgotten on social media. But we should recognize it and acknowledge it because we aren't going to stop using Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and the rest anytime soon. Now, although I know as a moderately well-adjusted adult, I shouldn't feel rejected when I see situations where people are out having fun and I wasn't invited, I still feel hurt sometimes. And pretending like it doesn't hurt doesn't help me deal with it or heal from it. Now, here's some examples from social media that leave people feeling rejected. This is all conversations I've had with hundreds and hundreds of people that that I'm kind of boiling it down. So here's examples. Seeing a photo on Facebook of friends who are out together at a social gathering that you didn't know about. Commenting on a friend's post and feeling like the comment was ignored while everyone else is commenting back and forth. Or posting a picture of a very important life event and even our closest friends don't comment on it or even like it. Now, I have a friend named Dawn. She was part of a brand new church. And she and her launch team had worked hard all day transforming an elementary school into what would be their church on Sundays. Anybody who's been part of a church plant knows it's backbreaking work. But at the same time, it was one of the most rewarding things that she had been a part of. And as she and her husband and the rest of the team left on this one day, they were all hugging and happy and excited about the launch that was going to happen the next morning. And she ran back in to grab something in the building while everyone else said their goodbyes. When she hopped in her car a few minutes later, she was just as happy as she could be until she got on Facebook and saw a picture of the entire launch team posing in front of their new church sign in front of the building. There was a big empty spot right next to her husband. And the caption said, many thanks to this incredible team of men and women who have worked tirelessly to make this dream a reality. Dawn was so hurt and so angry because no one even noticed she was missing from the picture. Not even her husband. Come on, dude. You're married to her. You sleep with her. You should notice when she's not there. (laughs) All the joy and excitement that she felt over the start of her new church was crushed from one picture she saw on social media. It happens. And we might as well talk about it because it happens to all of us sometimes. And another upsetting aspect of social media that people tend to do things they wouldn't do if they were face-to-face with someone. Like if I was at a picnic and someone said something I disagreed with, I wouldn't stop being friends with that person, right? I would probably just excuse myself and go get another piece of fried chicken. But on Facebook, if someone goes on and on about a controversial topic or like an angry name-calling political rant, for example. Hello, look at the year we just went through. It's not uncommon at all for people to just unfollow that person. And by the very nature of social media, these cutoffs happen often, right? But they feel much harsher than just excusing ourselves from the picnic table. Having a friend unfriend us or unfollow us doesn't mean that that friend doesn't love us anymore. 
Maybe it really just means the friend doesn't want to see political updates or after the gym pictures on Facebook or on Instagram every day. (laughs) But in the moment, the rejection hurts just like physical pain to our brains and we feel terrible. We have so many ways that our feelings can get hurt thanks to modern technology. On the internet, we can be rejected potentially by thousands of people. Yay. It's important that we know these things. I'm kind of taking us on a rabbit trail from the chapter, but it's important that we know about this. It's important that we think about this. So many of us get online and we will get on social media and then we'll feel worse when we're done than when we started. And it's important for us to know things like social media rejection, that things that we see on social media can trigger these feelings in us. With everything, the more aware we are, the more wisdom we have, the more knowledge we have, the more we're protected from hurt, the more we're protected from suffering needlessly. Okay, back to the chapter. It's difficult feeling rejected by our friends or even our acquaintances on the internet. It sounds funny when I say it, but hey, it's the world we live in, right? But can you imagine what it would feel like to be rejected by your closest friends? And Jesus, Jesus knew that well. He was all God, yet all human. He knows our joys, our sorrows, our struggles, and our pain, and he felt the sting of rejection. In the moments leading up to death on the cross, everyone in Jesus' life had rejected him. It started out with Judas betraying him to the soldiers in the garden, and it culminated with Jesus' outcry to his own father on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But no discussion of Jesus' rejection would be complete without talking about his close friend and my personal favorite disciple, Peter. I connect with him. I love him. He was excitable. He ran his mouth too much. He was always messing up. But yet, despite all Peter's weaknesses, long before he was even stable or mature, God still chose him to preach and lay the foundation for the early church. Don't you just love that about God? Peter was one of Jesus's closest friends. He was there from the beginning of Jesus's earthly ministry. He witnessed the miracles. He was the first to recognize Jesus as the Christ. He saw him transfigured, all while he was running his mouth, of course. (laughs) And he even briefly walked on water with Jesus. But here's the kicker. After all of that, after all of those amazing experiences, he still rejected Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. And the worst example of Peter's denial of Jesus occurred after Jesus was arrested and Peter was recognized as being a follower of Jesus. Here I'm going to read to you from Luke 22. This verse is 59 through 62. About an hour later, another person spoke up. This fellow must have been with Jesus, he said. He is from Galilee. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked right at Peter. Then Peter remembered what the Lord had spoken to him. The rooster will crow today, Jesus had said. Before it does, you will say three times that you don't know me. Peter went outside and he broke down and sobbed. Jesus knows the pain of being abandoned, the gut punch of having your closest friends betray you. In Isaiah 53, verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Peter's rejection didn't lessen who Jesus was. Jesus knew what Peter and the rest of the disciples and the whole Jewish community would do, and he didn't take it personally or question his calling. Jesus never thought, well, if Peter of all people rejected me after all this, maybe I'm not God enough to be Messiah. (laughs) Of course not, right? Of course Jesus didn't let rejection stop him. He's God. And yes, as God, Jesus turned water into wine, raised the dead to life, and turned one tuna fish sandwich into enough to feed the masses. We don't expect ourselves to do those things. But Jesus was also human. 
And there are lots of things that Jesus did, that Jesus modeled, that we should strive to emulate. Jesus' love for others, his kindness, his compassion, his laser focus on his calling, these are all traits that as believers and followers of Jesus we want to emulate. And I believe that Jesus not getting sidetracked by the pain of rejection is an important lesson for us all. Like Jesus, we are going to feel the pain of rejection, but we can know that we are loved and called by name to a destiny that's set out before us. The gut punch of rejection cannot and should not take that knowledge from us. And because he was human, Jesus understands our pain and understands exactly what we're going through when we feel rejected. He is with us in the pain, and although he may not deliver us from the hurt or rejection, he gives us strength to go through it. And I think the most reassuring thing about Jesus is that he will never reject us. The Bible tells us that his love for us is never failing and unceasing. It says in Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Having a rock-solid assurance of Jesus' love for us is crucial for enduring the pain of rejection. So, okay, I've taken you on this journey. We've talked about rejection, what it is, what it does to us, what it does to our brain, how our brain feels emotional rejection like it does physical rejection. We've talked about the importance of understanding social media rejection, rejection as it pertains to Christ and how he understands and he will never reject us. Now let's create a battle plan to fight the fear of rejection. When I face the fear of rejection, I rely on some really easy-to-use strategies to fight back, and I'm going to share them with you. Number one, here's what I want you to do. I want you to play the so what game. Now, I want you to understand that it's normal to feel rejected. Knowing that it's normal to feel that way can be super helpful on its own. But to really overcome the fear of rejection, we have to learn to fight the fear. And one of the ways I do that is by playing what I call the so what game. And as a young teenager, I had a lot of anxiety, most of which was rooted in losing my dad as a child. But eventually my mom, wise woman that she is, suggested that I might need to talk things out with a professional. Pamela, my counselor, I loved. She made me feel like no topic was off limits, and she often encouraged me to just let it all out. So after I would finish a tirade about how terrible a potential situation was, she would say, so what? Now, initially, I was really annoyed by this remark, because it seemed rude and simplistic. So what? I repeated back to her and imagine my sassy teenage way. What do you mean, so what? And she would say very calmly, so what if that happened? Would it be the end of the world? Imagine how dramatic it was. Well, no, the world wouldn't end. Back to Pamela. Would you actually die? No, I would not actually die, Pamela. And then she would say, okay, so what would you do next? She made me question my anxious thoughts one by one until I had worked through every possible scenario in my head, especially the imaginary worst case scenarios. Even today, that act of working out all of my what-if scenarios will allow me to identify the thoughts that aren't realistic and look at them from a new perspective. Because sometimes if we just go there with the worst case scenario and go, would I die? Would I be okay? God's still in heaven. Is he going to take care of me? Okay, I can manage this. I'm okay. It takes away a lot of that fear. The second thing you can do in your battle plan is to use truth talk. I had to learn to look at situations that made me feel afraid and worried and ask myself, so what? 
And once I walked through the so what exercise, I learned that I had to do some truth talk. And with this, I would replace the worst case scenario with a statement of truth. For example, I had used the so what exercise and truth talk technique for the bowling class situation. Had I done that, I would have told myself, I can't go back to that class. Those girls will make fun of me again. So what? Well, I'll be embarrassed and probably will never be able to bowl right. So what? I might fail the class if I don't learn to bowl. So what? You get the picture. And here's what my truth talk would have looked like. I can go back to that class. It's not going to be the end of the world. I'll probably laugh it off with a few people and those people will end up becoming my friends. And if I keep showing up to class, eventually I'm going to learn how to bowl well enough to pass the class. See? So we go through, here's worst case. So what? And then we replace worst case with truth talk. Using truth talk to replace those anxious, fearful thoughts with truth is a great way to fight back against the fear and the worries that paralyze us. Now, the next part of the battle plan is to plan how to cope. So finally, once you've asked, so what? And you've done a little truth talk. The last step is to plan out three ways that you can cope, even if rejection happens. For example, how could I have coped if the girls had made fun of me again? I could have talked to the teacher after class and asked to be put in another lane. I mean, it was a huge class. And what if I was embarrassed and had a hard time bowling? I could just try to enjoy the people around me and be lighthearted about my less than pro skills as a bowler. Side note, I still don't bowl. Just don't enjoy it. But learning to fight fear by asking, so what? Then doing a little truth talk. And then finally listing out ways to cope has been so helpful for times when I feel my anxiety building because of my fear. Because all of that is about the future. It's about potential situations. But what I want to do now is turn the tables and talk about how we can recover when we've actually felt the pain of rejection and unacceptance from other people. Since our brain doesn't distinguish whether the pain we feel is from physical hurt or an emotional hurt, we need to be good to ourselves and practice emotional self-care. Just as we take care of our physical bodies when we're hurt, we need to take care of our hearts when we feel the pain of rejection. I want to give you five ways to cushion the blow and comfort yourself when your heart feels rejected. Number one, don't assume that rejection is personal. My friend Laura's son, Derek, wasn't invited to a birthday party of his close friend who also happened to be their next door neighbor. You can imagine how huge of a problem this was. Laura was super upset and she was feeling like her son was personally rejected. She told her husband, I don't think she likes me and she's taking it out on him. And a couple of days later, the neighbor told Laura, hey, the girls really wanted to have their birthday party at that silly hair and makeup party place this year. I knew Derek wouldn't want to come to that. So we're going to invite you guys over to a smaller family party next week. Laura had assumed the rejection was personal, but in truth, it wasn't rejection at all. Now, sometimes we are left out, but even then the oversight may not be personal. I often like to say not everyone can be invited to everything and that should be okay. We aren't in high school. Sometimes I say it as a pep talk to myself. That's why we always want to err on the side of assuming that the rejection isn't personal. Second thing I want you to do, I want you to ban negative self-talk. Because when we get rejected, we shouldn't take it out on ourselves. It's too easy to kick ourselves when we're already down. And if we aren't careful, we can take rejection from others to heart and start a pattern of self-rejection through negative self-talk. When we feel hurt, we all have a tendency to make matters worse because we talk to ourselves in a negative way, right? The voice in our head is often negative and critical, saying things like, I shouldn't feel this way, or I'm so stupid, or some other negative comment like that. And self-criticism is often confused with humility, but it's not. It's straight-up sinful behavior. 
If Jesus doesn't talk to us that way, why do we think it's okay for us to be so mean to ourselves? When you catch yourself being self-critical and self-rejecting, you have to repent and pray that Jesus will help you see yourself the way that he sees you and that he will help you treat yourself the way he wants you to be treated. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be frustrated. When we believe the lie that we shouldn't feel our negative feelings, it puts us in a spiral of self-loathing. Give yourself permission to feel your emotions, accept them, and then the healing can come. Rejection can feel like a loss or a death. When we lose something, it does hurt. It's normal. Beating ourselves up and telling ourselves that we quote-unquote should feel a different way can only make things worse. Third thing I want you to think about is remember how Jesus sees you. Reassurance from other people will never be enough until we know that we're loved and we're valued by God. And God made this promise to his people, the Israelites, and repeated it again and again to believers in Jesus. He said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That's Deuteronomy 31 and Hebrews 13. Jesus, by his very nature, will never and can never reject us. People may hurt our feelings, they may leave us out, or even break our hearts, but Jesus loves us and accepts us and will never leave us. Before he left the earth, Jesus reassured us and said, Surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. That's Matthew 28, verse 20. Once we dig in and we start to really understand how Jesus sees us and stays with us, we can live lives secure in his love. We can grow from self-rejection to self-compassion. Step four, connect with people that you care about. When we feel rejected, we don't feel like we belong, right? Rejection's pain is especially painful because it touches on our deepest fear triggers of, am I good enough? Am I worth loving? Right? We have to get that deep sense of belonging back, first by connecting with Jesus, then by connecting with others. Our close friends and family members will often provide a reality check that we need. They remind us that we're loved, that we're accepted, and that we belong. And having good friends that you can visit or talk to at a moment's notice restores that need for connection. Of course, it's hard to visit people right now. I get it. Let's say having good friends that you can Zoom or you can FaceTime with or Marco Polo, that restores our need for connection. And I can't tell you how many times that I've called my friend Carol on a rant about how I feel rejected by something or someone. And after I pour out my heart, she will calmly say, you know this has nothing to do with you and you're being hypersensitive, right? (laughs) Right? In my gut, I knew it all along, but I needed the reminder that I was blowing it just completely out of proportion. Maybe you have a friend like that who will just say, you know that has nothing to do with you and you're just being sensitive. I mean, it's nice to get that feedback sometimes and get that reminder. Step number five, this one's really important. I want you to ask yourself, what would I tell my best friend? Because when we feel pain, we tend to take a negative outlook on things, right? We brood over the worst case scenarios in our heads. But if we get a little distance from our pain, we'll be able to see it more clearly. Now imagine this. Your best friend comes to you and tells you about a certain situation. What would your encouragement to her be? Because when it's a friend's pain and not our own, we're less likely to overgeneralize or blow things out of proportion. The enemy uses our fear against us, taking our most precious thing and convincing us that we'll lose it. But as we learn to fight our fears, especially the fear of rejection, we become better equipped to deal with that fear and to learn not to let it keep us from living our lives with joy and with purpose. At the end of each chapter in Fierce Faith, I have action steps for you. I want to share some of those action steps with you today on this show. 
If you have Fierce Faith, I want you to go to the back. You know there's a section where I have a certain page and you can practice and fight back against that fear of rejection in that kind of workbook section with Truth Talk. If you haven't used that page yet, go ahead and start using it. It's a really powerful exercise. Okay, first question. When do you remember first feeling rejected? Let it come to mind. I know it's not fun, but I want you to go to God in prayer and ask him to heal those places in your heart where that fear of rejection or that pain of rejection still lives. Next thing, I want you to think about how social media has fed into feelings of rejection. Think about how you can use this fear of rejection or the plan of rejection, that battle plan to fight these feelings. Once we know how social media affects us, we're able not to let it affect us so deeply. And when you're feeling rejected or afraid of rejection, ask yourself what three things you know to be true, even in that moment. And then last thing I want you to do is identify one or two people that you can be vulnerable with about your feelings or fear of rejection or pain of rejection when those triggers pop up. I want you to nurture those relationships because they are key to fighting back against rejection. That was it. That was what if they don't like me? How to Overcome the Fear of Rejection from Fierce Faith. I'm so glad you're here. I'm grateful that we get to wrap up 2020 together. What a year it's been, right? I was joking with a friend recently that I may have PTSD from parts of 2020. I think we all feel that way a little bit. I want to encourage you. I want to remind you that God is on your side, that God is taking care of you, that he loves you. My dog agrees in the background barking that no matter what you've been through, no matter what you still may be going through, he's going to see us through to the other side of this. We are going to look back on this season of life. And though it was filled with pain in many ways, I'm so grateful for what God was doing in my life there. I didn't see it then. I didn't know how everything was going to come together, but I'm grateful for it. I believe that fully. God loves you. He will take care of you. And he is with you every step of the way. We're going to look back on this and we're going to see his hand so clearly. And I want you to know that I believe in you. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I believe in your dreams. I believe that God has planted them in your heart for a reason. I believe you're making an impact on this world for good. I know that God created you to stand strong and to do great things in this world. I'm so honored that I've gotten to be a small part of coaching and equipping you in your journey this year. I'm so happy to be a part of your week. I'll be back with you on Monday and I hope you have a great day. 